how do you balance work and just being able to connect with your spouse? So Nathan, Beth's not here, so why don't you answer that question? <laughs> is she didn't uh, leave <laughs> or, or uh, ditch. Uh, she's actually down at a wedding at Grace Church. We have some good family friends uh, that are getting married today. So she was here for the morning and then she went down there for the wedding and I stayed here for this. But we're celebrating marriage just on both sides of it. <laughs> so she's down at Grace right now for that wedding. But uh, I do, uh, they stuck me in the middle because I'm the single guy up here for the moment. So I'm feeling the awkwardness of all of it. Uh, in terms of uh, date night, well, for us, when our kids were little, I think it changes. So we've been married almost 22 years. I know the Tatlocks have been married almost 32 years and the Walls 41 years. So of all the people up here, I'm the one you should take with the biggest grain of salt because I've been married for the shortest amount of time. But when our kids were little, uh, we would celebrate date night, honestly, almost every night just by getting them to bed <laughs> at a time that was reasonable. So if you can, if you can set a, a reasonable bedtime, then you have the rest of the evening hours to just enjoy good conversation and everything else. And then, of course, punctuating that with times where you get a babysitter and you go out and you have the more formal date night. But we just really enjoyed the opportunity to just talk and unwind after the kids were in bed. Uh, as our kids got older, and uh, thankfully our oldest daughter proved to be a very competent babysitter, then date nights became more frequent because babysitting became less expensive. So, um, and then it's just a matter of being intentional with those opportunities. I appreciated what Harry said earlier about knowing your wife and knowing what it is that she loves and enjoys and then really focusing on those things so that it's a life-giving thing for both of you. But in our experience, that's kind of how it went. It changed as the kids got older. I would just uh, agree with what Nathan's saying. It's something I wanted to communicate. Lisa and I try to assess when you enter into different seasons of family life and marriage. And um, when it comes to date nights and things like that, and I've always had to travel a lot or had evening responsibilities, sometimes teaching or, or board meetings or things like that. So I've always appreciated that my wife um, is very flexible. Uh, even when it comes to special events, whether it's a birthday or anniversary or things like that, for us, we agreed early on whether it was important or not important to celebrate on that actual date. Um, and she released me from that um, expectation uh, so that we'd much rather have an experience where we could both be there and enjoy. I'll never forget celebrating Valentine's Day once. We went to the Odyssey. You know, those of us who are old enough used to go up there and before kids, and uh, it, was, it was Valentine's Day, and they had just cleared out all their banquet rooms and just set up tables for two. And it was a nightmare, from parking, from waiting in line to getting in there. And, and we sat there, and there were couples around us, and two of the three tables around us, uh, the couples were arguing and fighting with each other <laughs> because you've just got these huge expectations for this super romantic night, 
And we looked at each other and kind of started laughing. We're like, we're married. We can go home. We don't have to, you know, um, create all these extra expectations for a special date night. And I always appreciate just my wife's more practical side of hers. Just say we're more interested in quality time. And um, we definitely celebrate. We enjoy doing that. But not creating date night or even holidays or special events overstating them or building up with expectations that can't be met and then you're already kind of off on the wrong foot so thank you no i think we um we didn't have a date night every every week because it was a lot of pressure and and mark like you said he was out often and so the thought of going out maybe our only night home wasn't necessarily a good choice and so I totally affirmed the bedtime thing. That was big for us, like for years. You know, we had five, and we, were like, we had five under eight. You, you know, we were close. And so um, I, I think that's just a lot of pressure sometimes, so you can build up. But with that said, I do think it's consistent. And even now, we still have to find that time. And we've, instead of nighttime, because uh, we fade when we're getting older. We're a little tired now. <laughs> and so we do breakfast. A lot, so we can get up and get going and get early, and it's a date night, but it's a date breakfast, and that's been working great. And we don't even do it every week; it's just maybe once a month, and we can catch up. And we kind of know when we need to, like, like Mark will say, "I think we need to go to breakfast." I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. We need to go to breakfast because if we need to talk about things or get caught up." So I just think, like what Mark said, just not that, maybe not that pressure. And it's good to be consistent. Well, thank you. We had a question about finances. Who manages the budget? Is it the husband? Is it the wife? And how do you decide a big ticket purchase? Well, first of all, um, I'll jump in and say uh, my wife, some of you know, taught here at the university. And one of the classes she taught was family finance. Um, She also came from a home. Her dad was in the military. So it was a very well-structured, organized, well-managed Uh, home. I came from a home where things were very much shoot from the hip and, you know, if we're all alive at the end of the day, that's fantastic. And um, so (laughs) we were talking about those learning each other and cultures coming together in the marriage and background. So we had a lot of work to do, particularly in the area of finances. And I remember my poor wife, who knew a lot more than I did, it was much more capable managing the finances, but wanted to submit to her husband. I remember one time uh, we were going to Target and we we're in the parking lot and things were really tight and she was asking me a question, should I buy this? And I was always like, sure, go for it, you know, buy it. <laughs> and um, the, <laughs> I learned that eventually. And, and what I realized is um, whether she was paying the bills or not, I had an obligation to be informed and to really talk through that choice so that my wife, who wanted to honor me in that way, had a knowledgeable and informed husband so that that decision could be made together because I was putting her in a very difficult spot all the time. How do I submit to my husband when he's not, you know, really uh, as informed as he needs to be? And so, um, anyways, I had to learn to step up and really take more leadership in that regard. And... Um, I think you paid the bills for years, years. And then eventually we transitioned. I think it was about the time things got really busy at home with a lot of kids and a lot going on. And I was like, oh, this is a, an area I can step into. 
So she discipled me in the area of bill paying and all those kinds of things. And um, the thing, honestly, that we have to work through is now I'll do it, and we still live pretty busy lives, but where I'll drop the ball is I won't go back and communicate to her where we're at, how much she can spend, you know, what I allow for this month and this and that. And so um, I'm still growing in that regard, and I have a really, really supportive wife. So that's my story. So thank you. We have a question that's more of a cultural question. And this is the section where couples are trying to make things right. They were married, they were not Christian, and they became Christian after. And one specific question is, I never changed my name. I still kept my maiden name. Would you encourage them to change her name? Um, Yeah. Um, I think I spoke to the rationale behind that. Um, I'm not arguing that there's confusion in your heart about whose husband you are or whose wife you are. Um, or your loyalties or biblical principles, I think that it's biblically appropriate for him to assign you the worth and wealth of his name because of the reasons I described. So unless it's impossible right now, I would press towards that end. I think there's some legal benefits. Um, Sometimes there's legal losses, actually, Um, but I think that it would be important in principle to identify with him. I think it communicates the right thing um, to all who witness who aren't you. Um, you may have it clear, but I think it communicates. It's like wearing your wedding ring. You know, it, it says something. Um, your name says something. And if you're in this home, married to this husband, you should have his name. And uh, so that, that would be my conviction based on the principles I've already talked about. And that's not to beat you up. I get reasons why it might be slow or difficult, but I would aim at it for those reasons. Very clear. Thank you. A question here that might be interesting. Are arguments inevitable? Is it normal? And how do you make up after an argument and what is your principle of not letting the sun go down in your anger? All right. The answer is yes. Uh, I, I would say broaden the definition of argument. There's going to be conflict. No, no doubt about it. Harry did an excellent job explaining why. One, you're sinners. Two, you've got different cultures and backgrounds, and you're bringing a lot to the mirror. So there's going to be differences. But I would say that the beautiful thing about understanding the complement of God's design in marriage between a husband and and wife bringing needed differences together. But where we complement each other is probably going to be the root of your conflict as well. And so one, learning to value and respect and treasure the differences in the other person so that you're stronger together is a really important starting point because if you don't appreciate it then your response is going to be one of frustration irritation whatever and your pride's going to take over so you got to begin to really understand exactly what we heard today what god's doing in leading you together by the way that's true in the body of christ 
It's diversity and unity. That's the biblical principle. And it's uh, definitely the case in marriage. And so, uh, but you've got to respect that. And you've got to appreciate it. And I would say even uh, expect in the sense that your differences are going to manifest uh, themselves. And so, uh, I would say maybe it's not a verbal argument where you're yelling at each other and it's that. It's just a difference of perspective, a difference maybe even of understanding. And maybe, um, you know, people respond differently, don't they? The conflict, some withdraw. And so the silent treatment Harry talked about that you might be tempted to give as a wife. or uh, So your manifestation of the conflict may not be attacking. It may be withdrawing. And that can be just as, as problematic for you. Yeah, the reference there in Ephesians 4, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Paul goes on and he says that the anger of man does not achieve or accomplish the righteousness of God. I think there's a lot that could be said about that passage. One thing that the Lord's helped to teach me is that when I'm frustrated, so when I have anger in my heart, you cannot accomplish your role in sanctifying the other members of your family, whether it's your spouse or your kids, if you're coming at them and at the situation from a perspective of frustration. My bad attitude never contributes to their sanctification. And so... (laughs) When the Lord is at work in my heart and I'm exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, if I respond in patience and kindness, that's a context for them to be uh, to respond to me in a way where they're being sanctified through that process. But when I get frustrated, it only compounds the situation. So the anger of man, the frustration of our sinfulness never contributes to the righteousness of God, either in ourselves or in those whom we're seeking to sanctify. And then just one other thought about don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, The sort of typical interpretation of that verse, and I don't know how Mark and Harry feel about that verse, but the typical interpretation of it is don't go to bed angry. And that's certainly a good marriage principle, don't go to bed angry. But I don't think that that is what Paul is actually saying in that verse. I think he is using an analogy to Joshua and the battle of the day that the sun stood still where Joshua and the Israelites actually conquered and vanquished the enemy because God supernaturally delayed sundown. And I think what Paul is saying based on that analogy is that you need to root out anger in your life like Joshua and the Israelites rooted out the enemy on that day when the sun stood still. So be aggressive and be pervasive in killing anger in your own heart because it never achieves the righteousness of God. So to add to that, the passage that succeeds or finishes out, concludes the section we were in, says finally then, verse 8, 1 Peter 3. Finally, to sum it all up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, and listen to this one, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. 
for you were called to inherit a blessing. Implied is, first of all, it is natural to have conflict. It's what you do with that conflict. And we argue today, in part, you don't do what is natural to do. You don't do what typical people do. You do what Christians filled with the Spirit of God do. And I know that if I walk in the Spirit, I have margins I otherwise don't have. That if I'm working hard, going like great guns, and I get tired, and I get fatigued, and I feel whatever measure of stress I feel, I'm a less loving, more argumentative, frustrated husband. And so the fruit of the Spirit is the solution to the conflict, how I deal with it. We talked about Ephesians chapter 4. You should know this. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, and malice, clamor be put away from you. That's the natural reaction. Be kind, tenderhearted by forgiving. Forgiveness relieves the engine of anger and destructive actions. It eliminates the I'm going to hurt you because you hurt me. Whether I can do it face to face or whether I'm going to get you from behind, however I'm going to do it, it diminishes, relieves me of that, and actually it's the flip side of it. So without overworking this question, I think it's so practical. Yes, there's conflict. She's different. She's a girl. I'm a guy. She has a personality different than mine. And, some, and she has stresses at home, you know, and sometimes it can be wife stress that triggers it. You don't ever help me. You're never around. And, I'm not, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but things that I've heard before is can be a trigger to that and we the closer we walk with god the better we do with conflict and relationship and we're old enough it is 41 years you kind of learn there's a better way to do this i don't want to hurt you and i i i value this and those injuries unaddressed in a biblical way create barriers to the very thing i've come to love and cherish i love her I want what the marriage provides. And whatever it is that's bugging me isn't worth it. So if you're thinking about it in ways that maybe time will help you, and some of you have been married a while, you you can say for a fact, there's some things that I thought mattered really don't matter. And it's not detente. It's just it doesn't matter. And so I think thinking about it that way has been helpful to me as a still-continuing-to-grow husband, Um, I didn't say this during my session. I'm surprised that I didn't. But it kind of goes to date night that's not a date night, and that's spending time in the morning or during the day as a couple with the Word of God open. I call it porch time because that's when we started to do it, and it was 20 years into the 41-year run. So it wasn't like I got it. I told you I didn't get a lot at the beginning. But what I did get is the value of personal time together before the Bible, not because I prepared a devotional, but because we take a passage, a paragraph, a psalm. You read two verses. Actually, I start. Two verses I read. She reads two verses. We go through the text, however long it is. Like Psalm 145, we just split it in half. She reads the two that I read. I read the two that she read. And then it's, honey, what stood out to you? This is what stood out to me. How can I pray for you? 
That's simple. Mm-hmm. Is it meaningful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also, that, that time is very important. You have to be careful not to let that take your personal time, too. And because I think when you get your head right at the beginning of the day, it just, with the Lord and that, and that what your purpose is for the day, it helps set the tone for the rest of that day. Because one thing I do is at the top of my calendar uh, every day, I write to the Lord, today, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and others like myself. Then today will be a good day. And if I make that commitment, and that's a commitment I make every morning, and I've, I want to live up to that commitment. So if by the end of the day I haven't, oh, we've got some things to work through. But hopefully, hopefully we do live up to that commitment, or I live up to that commitment. But that's what I try to do, yeah. I grade her at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> But I think the bottom line is those kinds of things, her personal time, my personal time, and I was arguing for our shared time, which is 15 minutes, 20 minutes. That's all it is. It's not like major, but it has major influence. And it's, the, it, it, it's not a date night. No. I was just saying we have a hard time stopping at 20 minutes. <laughs> well, I have a hard time stopping anyway. Yeah. We'll usually go a little longer. Yeah. But anyway. That, that would be a soulish contribution to our relationship personally and collectively. Because a lot of times what doesn't happen, and even in churches like ours, you have your daily devotions, you spend time in the Word of God, you might talk about it, but you're not regularly in the Bible together in a way that's sustainable and it doesn't, it's not heavy. And I'm arguing for not heavy but consistent. And I'd, I'd say if you could do four out of seven days like that, that's a victory. And it'll really, I promise you, you'll write cards and letters to me at my funeral saying, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. I tell that to my seminary class. I say, listen, do one thing for me. Try it. Just try it. And then tell me that I was a bad coach. Because you won't tell me that. And then when they go to graduation or I meet them somewhere... It's the wife telling me, thank you. Okay? And that's typically the case. A wife wants a husband to lead. And so that's a way you can lead. It's not a date night, but it's like a date. And it's invaluable, and it helps deal with potential conflict. I'm kind of drawing this all back together. Because that's where conflict comes from. You're not soulishly knitted, and you're not spiritually influenced. And you need margin that naturally you're not going to have, and life is going to challenge, whether it's your kids or your job, finances, the culture, Fox News, and the world's just going crazy. Anyway, that's what I think. Thank you. Let's talk about communication and coordination. My spouse makes plans without telling me. Then we get into arguments because we have different ideas on what to do. What are practical tools that will help us communicate daily needs, plan out schedules, and plan for the weekend. Middleman, go for it. <laughs> Communication and coordination. Well, first of all, I appreciate that that's alliterated. So I, I didn't want to let that escape anyone's notice. Um, I mean, communication is at the foundation of relationship. And so if the relationship is going to function, there has to be good communication because communication 
is key to fellowship, and fellowship is key to relationship. So I think if I was counseling a couple in a situation like that, I would probably turn to the husband and say, hey, you got to lead in this, and you've got to make sure that you're the one who is communicating clearly and then also setting up times for good communication. And, and that may require some sort of formal step where it's like every Sunday afternoon we're going to have a family meeting and we're going to compare calendars and we're going to go through it. Or it could be something that's more informal than that. But whatever it takes to make sure that the communication is there is essential because the lack of communication results in unmet expectations, which results in conflict, which can become a vicious cycle. So a little bit of proactive communication brings a whole lot of, it, it breeds what Harry was talking about this morning, and that is relational trust. And out of that trust, the relationship can blossom. So I would look at the husband and say, do whatever it takes, but you got to lead in this area. Yeah, a couple things. So one of the things that Lisa has helped me see is um, sometimes I would get to the communication too late, like after the conflict had occurred. And and she would say, why do we have to have the conflict to have the conversation about what we need to resolve? Which what she was really saying is I wish you would leave and be proactive and anticipate. And so um, <clears throat> I think that's the idea. Uh, the idea of being a loving husband is to be like Christ. You initiate, you pursue, you anticipate. And uh, some life, sometimes life gets busy and you can't get ahead or stay ahead all the time. But if the general pattern is you're trying to think ahead, and this gets into the planning side of things. Um, when we were first married, you know, we had conflict, as I alluded to, over finances. But our finances were tied to our calendar planning. And, um, and that wasn't the moment we were sitting down to pay the bills to, you know, have a deep and meaningful conflict, uh, conversation about principles and priorities and things like that. So, um, we decided we'd be better served to create a space and a time outside of having a direct conflict as part of being proactive. So we would, um, go away and we did this quarterly, um, and we would plan our calendar for three to four months. We would look forward to what are the major financial decisions, what are the implications, and then uh, our budget would flow out of that because certain seasons have more birthdays and weddings and things like that than other seasons. And, and so um, trying to get ahead of things is the point I'm saying, being proactive, take initiative in the planning, which will also reduce some of the conflict about the finances and then um, you're having meaningful conversation where you're more objective and not as emotionally reacting to the, the pressure or the tension uh, after the fact. So, would you add to that? We have to, because Mark's got a little bit of a crazy schedule, we have to talk at least once a week. So we tend to do what Nate was referring to, like once like on Sunday afternoons. And we kind of have to look ahead at the next week and say, you know, you're home, I'm not home, we're doing this, and coordinate with the kids. We need everybody's calendars, we need everybody's commitments, and then we have to talk about what preferences are, because sometimes it's, I prefer to do this, or what would you prefer, and so there's give and take on that. So I think it, it needs to be regular, too, besides just the summits. So. The other practical thing I learned, especially when the kids were little, um, and I was driving to work, my commute was maybe 20 minutes, 
I would, I learned I needed to call Lisa on the way home. Some of you have heard me say this before. Uh, living in an understanding way, uh, in a very simple and practical sense, was preparing my mind to enter into her world before I walked through the front door. And this was before texting and staying a little bit more connected throughout the day. So I would just call, and, and she might be fixing dinner. She put me on speaker, and she would debrief her day with me. That way, I knew who needed to be disciplined. I knew what the context for the, the issue was. I knew what, all that. Um, when I just walked in the front door, and I was ready to, like, let down, and I was met with, boom, 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 here's all the issues, um, I didn't respond really well to that or as well as I needed to. And so that was really practical. It helped me just get ahead of it. So when I came in the door, I was already on her team. I was already thinking through the issue as she was thinking it through. And that's the other part with parenting uh, and pursuing your wife. She's going to have insights about the kids that if you don't ask, she's going to be in a situation where she's conflicted again, just like I said with the financial decisions, where you're stepping in to be the man and to lead your family, and you don't have the information that she has. And so you're not well served to be discerning. Uh, and simple examples, for instance, like if you walk in and you know you want to be the dad that everybody loves and you want to show grace and mercy to that first offense, but really it's the fifth offense that's occurred during the day. What that child does not need is grace and mercy in that moment. They need discipline. And so that helped me to walk in the door and know and be prepared, even pray. How am I going to respond to this? Not in frustration, not irritation, but in a, an appropriate way. So just some simple things by way of planning. And, and my point is get ahead of it, initiate. So we have time for one more question. And I think this question which we received, we, we can't just let it pass. I think this marriage conference was so helpful and it really brought to light. And this question says, what do we do if myself and my spouse have been living separate lives for years now? Where do we start reconciliation? You have to be married more than 25 years to answer that question. <laughs> Let me respond this way. Um, there's many things that could be said, but first of all, you really do have to understand how the gospel has to frame your marriage relationship. And I love the text that Harry just went through, your fellow heirs of the grace of life. It is you're both recipients of God's undeserved mercy and grace. We're, we were his enemies. He pursued us. He gave his life for us. So no matter what the pattern in your marriage is, the standard and the example is you love just as you've been loved. We were alienated from Christ, and we were reconciled to him. So you don't want to live a life of alienation and isolation and independence. We've heard that throughout today. So you have to begin with adopting a biblical definition of what your marriage should be and your understanding uh, of the temptation of man. Man, because of the fall, became a lover of self and became self-seeking. Matter of fact, he didn't move towards God. He moved away from God. So independence and isolation is, I would say, the distinctive characteristic of a self-lover and somebody who 
uh, needs the gospel, that he might be reconciled into communion and fellowship with God himself. That's our hope. I use the word hope because I want to say to you, if you're in the room, whoever asked the question or if you're in a similar situation, God, this is an issue of faith, and your faith is not in your spouse to change. They will fail. I assure you, I promise you, I'm a spouse, I fail. So I know that I will never meet the ideal or perfect expectation, but I do claim the promise that he who began a good work in me and in my wife will be faithful to complete it. He will complete it. He will accomplish that. He will be at work in us. So it's not going to be in your own strength that you're going to accomplish that. But you want your marriage to move towards that gospel reality of reconciliation, of communion, of, of fellowship. Now, the likelihood is there's a pattern that's been developed. You're not going to overcome that pattern immediately or overnight. Repentance does need to be manifested, but you need to know what is it that I need to repent of? How do we get here? Why have I made these choices? What made this a safer way to live than being known and, and being secure? So um, that's going to take a little bit of time, and I would suggest just some, some care and some counsel and, and some discussion about how did we get here, what do we want to change, how can we move closer to what is true in the gospel and our relationship with Christ, and then let's have a long view and a long-term commitment to bringing the alignment back in order. And um, I think once that's established, then you can begin to make choices that are going to move in that direction. Now, there's a lot more to say, but that's the big idea I would start with. And just to add to that, going back to Ephesians 4 and then of course Ephesians 5 is that great chapter about marriage. What we see as the catalyst for change in both of those chapters, Ephesians 4, the catalyst for change is to be renewed through the word. So coming back even to what Harry was saying earlier, the reconnection point needs to be before the Lord as his word is permeating your thinking so that as your mind is renewed, he's bringing to your mind the way in which your relationship needs to change and be patterned after biblical thinking. And the catalyst for change in Ephesians chapter 5, the very next chapter, is the spirit of God indwelling you, right? We're not to be drunk with wine, but we're to be filled with the spirit. And then your relationship flows out of that. And what does the spirit use? He uses the truth of his word. So it's about being renewed in your thinking through the truth of the word and then being submitted to the spirit. So in all seriousness, I, you know, I was joking earlier, but in all seriousness, I would counsel that couple to start by prioritizing their time together in the word and letting the word do its work over time in your relationship. So, I'm hopeful that as a consequence of today, you recognize that aloneness is not good. It's not good. Even in a perfect world, it's not good. Intimacy is the antidote to aloneness. And if I'm that couple, if I'm the guy in that relationship, I'm coming home from an event like this. And let me just say this. This probably applies to everybody at some level. There's a measure of distance where there ought to be intimacy. And if I'm going home today, I'm saying to Karen, 
hey, I realized that this is not good. This is not what I want, nor is it what God wants. It denies the design of God, and it denies us the opportunity to experience the joy provided by God. It also denies a witness to the work of God, the First Peter section. So I want to change. I want to change. I want to do what I need to do to restore the connection that we were designed to have. This is how God has convicted me. And I'm just going to say to you, the best fruit of this is you owning what God has convicted you of. I know it's hard not to think of your spouse and the shortcomings thereof, but it's not fruitful to start there. The starting place is I am convicted. This is how God has convicted me, and I want you to know he has. And I want to fulfill the expectation of God and the need that we have. This is where I repent. I own it. I want you to help me understand what else I need to own. Understanding and responding to remove the distance that forfeits the joy, fulfillment, satisfaction that God designed this relationship to have. Everything else is less than this. I want that. I'm not experiencing that. It starts here. So to me, the productive solution to that starts with what did God say to you? Owning it and the pursuit together of understanding what else needs to happen. And I'm not saying to Karen, this is what I think you ought to do. I just want to know what God said to you. And then we can do that together. And I think that's a constructive, no matter where you are on the, you know, we're living separate lives, but we've got areas of distance that we want to, like the whole thing about uniting. We're just not united. Well, okay, let's own it. Let's talk about it. And then if we need to, let's get help for it. Because obviously you don't want to stay there and it's not likely that independently you might get there. So that's my encouragement to you. Don't live there. It's no life at all. And uh, it's a lonely life, and a lonely life is death. So that's what I would say. Do you want to say something? Well, I was thinking, yeah, ideally, you know, with with something like today, you would have um, a weekend so you could go and and talk about things. But I know a lot of y'all have kids that you're going to go home to. But I would encourage you to sometime within this evening, if you can't get away tonight or for supper or something, make a date for sometime in the next week or two. Say, you know, get together, say, this is what we need to talk about, or I'd like to talk about some things, and make a plan. Excuse me. Do it now. Don't let this get away from you because you can walk away from here and, Things just get on the back burner as soon as you get home, you know. But I would encourage you, sometime tonight, if you can't talk tonight, make a date to talk. Thank you for that. I think that was a very sober question that really came out. There has to be a sense of reconciliation, a sense of urgency. Thank you. 
We're almost out of time. We just would like to thank you, everyone here in the panel. I think it, everyone should clap. We would also like to thank you with a little gift. Yeah, who was blessed by today? I know I was. Yeah, this is just a little something from the Cornerstone family and some of you guys that are here. We just want to say that we love you guys. We're thankful for you guys for being our shepherds and our elders and just doing an amazing job and for this weekend. And um, we were super blessed by it. So thank you. You're welcome. Mark, would you please close us in prayer? Can, can I say one more thing? So Steve said, or Mark did at the very beginning, that it's our desire to provide some support for the presumed journey you're about to take or need to take. So please let Steve know. Steve, Lucy, Steve's our, our kind of our contact facilitator glue for our fellowship. And as elders, we want to help shepherd you to the spaces and places that you need to maximize what was done today. This is one day that may be benefited by other days, probably needs other days. So please let him know so that we can support you. We talked to our leaders of our Bible studies yesterday morning we met here. It's our desire to help you take steps forward so that together we can all rejoice over the progress we make together. So please don't, don't let it get away from you. Like Karen said, make a date, but also get let us know how we can tune in and support you. That would be our heart. Amen. Well, I also want to just say thanks uh, to Harry. Thank you for your teaching and shepherding and pastoral ministry to us today. It's been a, a wonderful thing. And thanks again to the whole team, the events team, all the volunteers, everybody else who made this possible, Mike. Neshenim, who coordinated things with the university. So it's been a good day, a rich day, and I think we're all grateful, and we expect the Lord to use it uh, in our hearts and lives. Why don't you stand with me, and we'll just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you as we close our day with hearts that are expectant, because as much as we might want good marriages, you deserve and desire that far more than we possibly could. Because as we heard, a godly marriage brings honor and glory to you. It's a witness and testimony to our children and family. It's a, a witness and testimony to our unsaved friends and, and those in the community. And it also is the occasion to put on display your heart your character, and your love. And so we want to be faithful to what you've called us to do, what you have enabled us to do through your word and your spirit. And so guide us now as we go forward, asking that you would affect the kind of change that would be pleasing to you and that we might experience a richer and fuller marriage experience uh, in our own homes. So do this work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.